0: What is up, everybody? You are listening to Curious with Jake Heilbrunn, and I am your host. This show is all about sitting down with people I find curious and having real, raw conversations to understand what goes on in their mind. How do these people think? What struggles are they facing? And how do they overcome obstacles? And most importantly, we're going to keep it real. My favorite conversations are the ones where we talk about the shadow as well as the light, I wanna know about these people's fears and insecurities and doubts, just as much as I wanna hear about their successes and wins because this is what I believe empowers us to recognize that we're all humans doing the best we can and that understanding these things allows us to feel acceptance about where we are right now and we can have some tools and takeaways from these people to improve our lives. Today's guest is Xander Fryer. Xander is a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, high-performance coach, and founder of Shit You Don't Learn in College, a high-impact coaching company that empowers entrepreneurs to build successful businesses. I first met Xander in 2017, the day after he quit his corporate job where he was making $200,000 a year as a 27-year-old to pursue the unknown path of following his purpose and dream as a coach and entrepreneur. And two years later, I've watched as he's not only built a seven figure company from scratch, but more importantly, how he did it and the thousands of people he's positively influenced along the way, including myself. Xander is one of the brightest people I've ever met, and I don't say that lightly, and someone I'm lucky to call a friend and role model in my life. In this episode, we talk about purpose, how to take a leap of faith when you feel like you're not fulfilled and doing so in a way that's realistic for where you are. So not just quitting your job tomorrow, but actually having a plan on how to get it done. We touch on some pretty emotional topics as the conversation progresses. So make sure to stay tuned as we dive into things like death, failure, letting your family down and how to navigate all of these things. So without further ado, today's episode with Xander Fryer. All right, Xander. Hey, Jake. What's going on? Oh, you know, just hanging out. So <laughs> my first question for you is where did you come up with the name Shit You Don't Learn in College?
1: Oh, man. I honestly don't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure. So when I when I quit my job, I think part of it was when I, when I quit my job, I was thinking about everything that I learned through high school, through college, everything that I had learned through all like the traditional education system. And after I'd quit my job and I'd done so much self-development, personal development, I was like, there's so much stuff that nobody's learning in the traditional system. And I was like, God, like, why is nobody? Te-? Like, I literally said it like it came out of my mouth. I was just like, God, why is nobody teaching anybody the shit that they don't learn in college? And I remember just saying that and it just like, wow, like, that's a big issue. <laughs> and,
0: and was this before you started your company? Like when you were just you were just thinking about it? Um, well, so this
1: was, this was after I quit my job, after, oh, after I gotcha. quit my job, I you knew, I knew I was going to start a company. I had no idea what it was. Um, you know, I didn't really know how to start a company or anything, but that, that term really resonated with me and eventually it became the name of the company.
0: Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. And, uh, for anyone who can watch right now, we're both wearing shirts about, uh, from shit you don't learn in college that say, I fucking love you. Yeah. Now, where did the inspiration come for that idea, to put that on a t-shirt and wear it around? <laughs> um,
1: honestly, I think, again, it was just something that, like, um, one of my mentors once said to me, he was just like, dude, like, I fucking love you, man. And it's like, the, the, and you know, like when a guy can tell another guy I love you, it's just, the, you know, it's something that hasn't really been able to be expressed in such a long time because totally. of our society or whatever. And, like, one of my mentors, um, you know, he's a really manly dude, and so for him to be able to just like that, – that's part of his expression. It's like, I, like it's more than just I love you. It's like I, there's deep emotion behind it. It's like I fucking love you, man. Like I don't know how else to express it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel it because whenever I wear this shirt, I was telling you before, yeah. I get compliments from everyone. And it's also a feeling like when you're wearing the shirt. Yeah. Like I was saying, you just feel like you're emanating love and it's kind of this – it's a really interesting feeling. And I think it's what I love about you and your brand is it's so you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you wear – You wear those, you wear colorful (laughs) pants, you wear shirts that speak to you. And did you, are you like aware that that's what you do or you just do it? Like even from a business and branding standpoint? Yeah,
1: not really. It's just, I just kind of started to do it. Um, It was like, I, I think, you know, once you, once you kind of just allow yourself to really be you and not really worry about whatever's. You know, what other people are judging you for? What other, by the way, when you wear an I fucking love you <laughs> yeah. shirt in public, there are people who judge you. I can <laughs> I, imagine. I forget about that sometimes because obviously like I live in downtown San Diego. So roaming around, it's mostly adults. Like you mentioned, you get a lot of people that are like, hey, I fucking love you too, man. But then like you go – like I go wear this like around my family and I totally forget that I'm wearing this shirt and there's like kids present or we're at like the market or the grocery store or something. It's like people definitely judge you a little bit. But – um. You know, for me, it's like when you kind of get past this idea of worrying about judgment, worrying about whatever anybody else thinks about you, it's not really its not really an effort anymore. Like my brand and what I'm doing is not really an effort for me. It just mm-hmm. It just kind of happens. I don't think about what other people are worried about. I don't think about what else is, you know, all like, oh, would this be good for Instagram? Would this be good for Facebook? Like I got to make sure I'm keeping on brand or something like that. It's like, no, it's just... This is me. Yeah. Right?
0: And I think that's super I th- cool. I think
1: a lot of the world needs a little bit more of this is me.
0: Totally. And you're yeah. kind of seeing that. I mean, in at least the people that I looked up to, like, you know, like you and like the Aubrey Marcuses of the world, yeah. they're, they're wearing their heart on their sleeve and they're holding nothing back. And I yeah. think with our generation too, like transparency, that's where it's going. Well, I
1: think there's so, like for so long, there's been so much, I, I guess the, the exact opposite, like non-transparency, yeah. right? Like this facade or... You know, it's and there's been so much fakeness, right? And I think the human race as a whole is smart enough to realize that. It's taken us a little bit of time. (laughs) It's taken us a few years, a few decades to really realize it. But like, just like you mentioned, like, and I don't think it's just this generation, right? Like, you know, when somebody talks about like the millennial generation, the millennial generation is not a time frame. I think you know, people say, oh, it's you know, like these years to these years, but millennial is a mindset. Like it's, it's more of like, there's people that are like realizing that are, you know, there's baby boomers that are millennials. There's Gen Xers that are millennials. Interesting. They're, like it's not an age. I've like, never
0: thought about it like that.
1: It's a, it's a mindset. It's a, it's that like place where it's like just what we're talking about. It's like, you get to this point where like, I'm done with fakeness. I'm done with the facade. I'm done with what everything, what everything, you know, everybody told me should be right because I know deep down it's not. And I'm just done with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. You're welcome, man.
1: <laughs> and so I know a
0: lot about kind of your experiences the last couple of years, but I'm really interested, like growing up for you, what like pre-college, what were like the biggest or who or what were like the biggest influences for you growing up?
1: Oh, man. Um, so the probably the biggest influence that I can think of growing up uh, it was a single a single moment a single conversation a very uh, intellectual conversation that I had at seven years old at seven <laughs> at seven years old so when I was seven I was in second grade and uh, like most people um, <laughs> when I was in seven I was in second grade and I was actually um, the slow kid so I was like slow
0: I, as in from speed of like running or like? No,
1: slow as in like mentally, like I couldn't read, I couldn't do math. Um, like I was, so I, 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 took like an IQ test and it was like, I don't remember what it was, but it was like borderline, like they were really worried about me. Right. And basically my teacher, um, told us that, you know, he would have to probably be held back in second grade. Like he was slow. And I remember, I remember my mom finding out about this And my mom was like, oh, he's really cute. It doesn't matter if he's slow. He'll make it through life anyways, right? Just a loving mom. Um, She didn't know any better. But I had a conversation with my second grade teacher. Her name was Linda LaGrange. Um, She passed away from breast cancer a few years ago, but one of the biggest influences in my entire life at seven years old. And I remember her telling me, Xander, if you want to be smart, you can be. Hmm. You just have to work at it. And I remember her telling me that at seven years old. And I didn't realize how that affected my life until probably the last couple of years while I did a lot more research into like the psychology of everything that was going on, how we learn, um, you know, why, you know, all the, all the subconscious work that I've been through. But she basically planted this idea in my mind that no matter where I was, I could always get better at anything, right? And uh, it's, um... You know, the the Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck talks about in her book, Mindsets, it's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, right? And most people live in this fixed mindset that you're born with some innate traits, some innate abilities, right? Like, you've known me for a while now, like, would you call me the slow kid?
0: No, that's why I found it so interesting.
1: Yeah, like so like you like I think you once told me that like you're one of the smartest people I've ever I met. I
0: actually it's on record uh, at a speech we gave at <laughs> Kaizen Connection. I introduced you as the brightest person I've ever met.
1: And so in second grade, I was the slow person. And so it was ve- it was a big shift for me and it wasn't until looking back more recently that I realized that she planted this idea in my mind that no matter where I was at, like I could get better. Right? If you wanted to be a good speaker, you could get better. If you wanted to be um, you know, good at math, you can get better. Right. Whatever it is that you want to get better at, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you start out at a 5, yeah, sure, some people may start out at an 8, and some people might start out at a 4, but if you start out at a 4, you can build your way up, and I realized that looking back because in second grade, she said that to me, and I remember it just really sticking, and then I ended up passing second grade. I ended up passing third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. By the time I got to middle school, I was taking math at the high school. And by the time I got to high school, I had to go to the university to actually finish up. And that was all, you know, over the course of a few years, that little idea had shifted me from being the slow kid to being someone who was excelling, you know, extremely in math and sciences, Right, And so that was one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest things that I had ever learned, one of the biggest influences on me growing up. And it was a single conversation that I had with my teacher.
0: And so like, did you just figure this out recently about how much of an influence through like
2: how?
1: I figured it out a couple of years ago, um, just kind of going going back through just introspectively going back through my life and wondering how I got to the point that I'm at, right? Um, you know, it was, it was just very interesting. Cause like, especially when I first started my business and like, I met you like the third <laughs> yeah. day after I quit my job and I had no, you remember, I was oh, like, like I, I don't that. know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what's going on over here. Um, but I had, you know, at like, you know, when we met with Jack and like all those people that were doing all this amazing stuff, um, I'd met all these people that were like, Xander, how did you go through these? Like, how did you get to this like big life transition and doing all this stuff at such a young age? And it always made me wonder, like, how did I get to this point? Like, am I blessed? Am I am I gifted or, or something? And it's like, it led me back down the path. I was like, no, I wasn't gifted. I wasn't different than anybody else. In fact, I was worse yeah. than most people. But I had an idea planted in my mind, you know, the seed that grew over the course of 10, 15, 20 years that really made a significant difference over that time period. Yeah, I love
0: that. And it reminds me of kind of like the Ryan Holiday stoic mindset of, you know, what can be your biggest crutch can be your biggest opportunity. And you weren't even aware of it. Like, that's what I'm so fascinated by is because there could be someone who had some experience in their childhood or something that they were told that's literally driving them and they're not even aware of it or has like played a huge part. And so that's why I kind of asked you again is like you were, how did you uncover that realization? Like, when did the dots connect? Were you doing like breath work or like,
1: no, I don't think it was, I don't think it was one period in time. I think it was, I was thinking, you know, the, the. It was all adding up, right? It was adding and it was adding and it was adding before eventually it kind of got to that point where I was like, holy shit, like this is, this is pretty clearly like when at least, and there might be more, right? You know, maybe there's, maybe it goes further back than that. Maybe there's something hap- happened when I was like three years old. I don't know. Right. But like, that's kind of how far I've been able to dig down to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't really a singular moment. It's like continuous, you know, uncovering, right? Yeah. So
0: we yeah. went to Tory Pines High School. We did. You went a little bit ahead of me. <laughs> are and you calling me old? I'm not calling you Oh, You are actually a very young spirit. <laughs> uh, so, you know, going to Torrey Pines and, you know, with your your, your mom immigrated here from Pakistan, mm-hmm. right?
1: And did your dad grow up here? Uh, my dad grew up in California, yeah.
0: So basically my, what I'm getting at is what was... Did you have a lot of pressure of going to like a really good school or university? I did. Yeah, absolutely. What was absolutely. that like for you?
1: Um, you know, that was... That was interesting. It wasn't, you know, for me. It was it was different, right? Because at that point, right, like when I got to when I got to high school, I was the smart kid, right? So it was a big shift from, yeah, from, from seven from seven years old to like seventeen. Um, so I was now kind of the smart kid, and really one of the you know this kind of goes back to that um, back to that shift as well that that mental shift um, for me. I was, I had started to develop this ability to um, do really well on tests, right? Do really well on tests and not necessarily have to go to classes, but like I could, I developed my ability to learn, learning from textbooks, learning from visuals, um, you know, making the, you know, connecting the dots in different ways that I think most people in high school couldn't. And a lot of this all stemmed from like in second grade, like whatever I was being taught wasn't teaching me correctly. And I kind of had to figure out how to learn myself. Mm -hmm right? So by the time I hit high school, I was, you know, excelling in like math and sciences and everything. So that idea of like, what do you want to do with your life was like pretty set in stone. It's like, you're going to be an engineer, (laughs) right? Like it's a great career. You're like, you can make great money. The world will never be out of a need for engineers, right? Um, So for me, it was a big, there was a lot of weight on my shoulders because of my identity as a person at this point. Mm -hmm. I was, I was known as the guy who, you know, I remember I, I took a physics test um, and gro- gro- like going through that like first semester, I didn't go to class. This is in high school and the, the professor or teacher, whatever you call them in high school, the teacher basically told me, he's like, I don't mind you not coming to class because you keep doing well on the homework and as long as you do well on the tests, I don't mind and he's like, I won't count you absent or anything. Um, and so I didn't go to class and I had one of my buddies turn in my homework for like an entire semester. <laughs> and then I remember during the midterm, I aced it. And so this rumor went around school, like, holy shit, Xander aced like the AP physics test and he didn't even go to class the whole time. And what most people didn't realize was like, I stayed up for like three straight days to study for that Seven. test. Oh, you're one of those guys. Right. I could never do that. So yeah. i just like, but the problem with that is like that. So because of the stigma that that created around my identity, because I create my identity around what other people say around me, about me, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least in high school you do. Um, so I had created my identity around what other people say about me. And basically that meant for me to be liked, I had to do perfect without trying.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So it was really interesting for me to think about that when I thought about where I ended up going to school. Um, because I... So I got, a, I got a couple great opportunities to go to, you know, I got an opportunity to go to Penn. I got an opportunity to go to Stanford. I ended up going to UCLA for my undergrad degree. Um, and UCLA is an amazing school. yeah it's, it's a phenomenal school. So I went to UCLA for engineering. Um, but I look back and I actually, like, I started to think about this more and more. And I thought about why I didn't go to Stanford or Penn. And I think I told myself it was because UCLA would be more fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was—it was, <laughs> yeah. was a shit ton of fun. Um, well, where you go, it's going to be fun. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> but like most people, would be like, "Oh my god, you got into Stanford? Why didn't you go?" Yeah. "Oh my god, you got into Pitt? Pe- why Penn. didn't you go?" Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about it, and I was like, I had this identity that for me to be liked, I had to do perfect and not try.
0: And so, if you went to Stanford, and if I went to Stanford, to try
1: there was a fear of me not doing perfect and trying.
0: That's so interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was it was really interesting. But basically, like you know, obviously going to Torrey Pines, there was a you know a big stigma around like you got to go to you got to go to the great school. You got that's why you do all this work. That's why you do all this stuff. I still remember like high school was one of the most stressful times of my entire life, just because mm-hmm. I was doing so much. You know, I was going to like doing college courses to like you know for math and stuff like that, while trying to play soccer, while trying to play baseball, like while trying to do all this stuff that's going on um, and try and make friends in high school. Like, yeah, good luck.
0: <laughs> and so tell me about you get to UCLA. Yes. Something pivotal happens in your experience at UCLA.
2: Yeah.
1: What are you talking about?
0: What are you, well, uh, <laughs> I think we both know, but I guess I want to, what I'm getting at is wh- so you had this plan for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You were at UCLA. You yeah. were going to be in the air force. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what transpired there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, for me, um, you know, when I got to UCLA, um, engineer, obviously, like math, science. I love solving calculus problems all day long, right? No, absolutely, <laughs> not. that is that is not who I am. Um, and for me, I had to pay my own tuition, so you know, I've had family in the military before, so it kind of made sense. Like, you know, I'll do Air Force ROTC; it'll pay my tuition. But as I was going through Air Force. Uh, was really when I kind of found my first, um, I had my first experience with like true purpose and mission. You know, I, I loved being a leader. I loved mentoring other people. I loved helping other people find, you know, the better in them. And that was something that I really honed in and developed while I was in Air Force ROTC. I, you know, I graduated top of my class at boot camp. So I got the Top Gun Award. And I was actually gonna be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. So I basically had like my next... 10 to 20 years planned out in front of me um and my senior year um i actually made the really dumb mistake of after it was actually here down in san diego um after a few beers with friends at the bars catching up i decided to drive home and i got a dui and that was my senior year can i just ask a question real quick
0: what was going through your head when the cop pulled you over fuck my life is ruined and were it like <laughs> and you know were, did you say like of course it's illegal and were you did you feel like you were drunk or did you just feel like oh shit i have alcohol in my system or at that It point, was
1: it was oh shit i have alcohol in my system and so you know the this is the hard part of this story was i was the guy who, you know, like, and you went to Tory Pines. There's a yeah. lot of like, I'll, I'll be open and honest, there's a lot of like drinking and driving and underage drinking that goes on at Tory Pines. So I had a lot of friends that had gotten DUIs. I was always the guy who would never have, like, never have a beer and drive. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was just that way. My sister lost some of her closest friends uh, to someone who, who uh, drove drunk. Like, I knew too many people that had been lost from drunk driving. And we were out at the bar. And one of my really good buddies, um, his mom is actually uh, paraplegic and he had basically it's long story, but basically he had left her in the bathtub for his dad to help her uh, out when he got home and his dad actually couldn't come home in time. So we actually had to go back and get her. Oh, this is that night. This is that night. Gotcha. And so this was like, my buddy asked me if we could drive back. And so mm. this was the one time that I was ever this is the one time I've ever wow, had i did not know this part of the story, yeah, this was the one time that I had ever had uh alcohol and driven, mm-hmm. and it was three beers, and when I got pulled over, I knew I was like how like how could this happen like this is this is it right, but it was it was terrifying.
0: And then you, did you spend the night in jail or like how does, his-
1: yeah. So, um, ended up, I still, I still, I still remember like. this, the, the cop who pulled me over, um, he tested me and he was like, Oh, like you're totally fine. Like, you know, but he was a brand new cop, like two weeks in or something like that. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm brand new. So I have to take you through like the full tests. And he's like, so we got to breathalyze you. Um, and he breathalyzed me and I blew a 0.09. Which, Which is, is 1 over. Point 0.01 over. Oh my gosh. Um, and I remember him, I remember blowing a 0.09 and him just being like, hold on, let's try that again.
0: No way. Like, he, he tried like, it again. He,
1: he basically like didn't want to give me a DUI. Um, what? Yeah. Um, but blew a 0.09 again, ended up taking me to uh, the drunk tank. And I still remember sitting. So I was in basically under those like fluorescent lights for the entire night. But are you
0: alone? Or are you with other people? I was, I
1: was, <laughs> there was one other guy in there. Um, he was a lot drunker than I was, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was interesting cause I remember sitting in there and just running through my head, all the stories, right. All the stories that go through your head about, you know, my life is over. Uh, you know, like no one's going to love me anymore. Like obviously I'm getting kicked out of the air force and you
0: have what, like one semester left in school or one semester left. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, well, two quarters technically.
0: Yeah, okay. Got, yeah, yeah.
1: UCLA's on the quarter system. <laughs> got it, got. Um, but uh, yeah, so I remember I still remember sitting in that in that drunk tank and at this point I had done so much personal development and self-development. One of the, one of the terms that I had heard, I don't remember who I'd heard it from at that point, but um, it was this idea that everything happens for you, not to you. And I remember mm. sitting in that drunk tank and just thinking how is this for me?
0: So you had the awareness in that moment to be thinking about yeah.
1: that. Yeah, oh, I, I was still crying, but,
2: but you were still asking. But I was that still, tr- I
1: was still trying to find a way to ask that question and trying oh. to find a way to be okay with it because I knew at that point there was nothing I could do. Right, there was nothing in my control that I could do at that point. What happened happened. You know, we'd figure out whatever we needed to figure out afterwards. Um, but I remember thinking at some point, you know, how is this for me? and i don't think i really realized it until 10 years later when i quit my job at cisco you know doing everything that we're doing now it's like this is how that was for me yeah, and yeah. i don't see it till 10 years later which is crazy cuz for me to see it like i i see it yeah but to but have you the awareness in the, in the is, moment blows yeah.
0: my mind because like i've had those moments too well
1: where- so let's let's be honest here right like this is this is like a 14 hour span yeah Right? That was maybe one thought out of, oh, of out of thousands yeah. of them of like, oh my life is ruined. Yeah. I hate this. Like, fuck you, officer. Like yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. But I it guess. was in there. It was somewhere in there.
0: And also, like, not saying if the circumstance was different, it wouldn't necessarily have been for you or not for you, but I sure. think the fact I didn't know this is that A, your friend asked you kind of this like vulnerable request. Yeah. And B, you were point like you weren't drunk, like Mm -hmm. over the legal. limit. yes, what you did was totally legal. And it's not like you were completely drunk. Like you you did the test. You were fine. And then he's like, literally like, let's try this one more time. I mean, that's clear to me that he doesn't want to put you in jail, but it happened. And so that's where to me, I'm like, wow, you're clearly meant to to do something that's outside of the realms of whatever you thought you had. Whatever I thought was going
1: on was, yeah, basically did not need to happen. There was something else that needed to happen. And
0: so then you do what everybody <laughs> does you join
1: yeah so so I was at, you know I was a 21 year old kid I got kicked out of the Air Force um, and I followed pretty much everybody else who is a lost 21 or 22 year old kid and I joined the corporate world <laughs> so I took a, I took a lot of um, you know a lot of my leadership skills a lot of my communication skills a lot of my energy and passion um, and when worked for Cisco Systems, as you know um, so I ended up working for Cisco for about five years um as a systems architect so uh, i covered a lot of different companies um including you know companies like facebook linkedin google disney sony nbc comcast verizon and you're making like a ton of money right for like a young (laughs) for for someone in their for someone in their mid 20s i was making way too much money yeah um i was so i think when i left my i think my my um my income like was going to be like 240 or 250 K. so it was you know well over two hundred thousand as a kid who was like 27 or 28 at the time. And I had like, standing meetings with like the CIO of Disney.
0: and again, were you like trying hard in your job?: Not really. Kind no. of the same pattern
1: as: Yeah, not really. I think I, you know for me, um you know it was interesting because i again, I had, I had learned how to learn. Better than most people, I think, and a lot of that all it all goes back to like seven year old Xander. I had learned how to learn better, you know, better and faster than most people, Um, and so you know, getting into that role, I learned very quickly what worked, and you know, in terms of communication, in terms of the technologies, in terms of all this stuff, how to work with people, how to work with executives, right? How to handle situations, Um, and so that kind of allowed me to excel as you know someone who's really uh, young, you know, quote unquote young in their career. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: And so before we get to the point of you quitting your job, what what was the time period and what was like the thoughts, like what led up to that decision? Was it like months and months of wondering, like, were you in like a sort of existential crisis? Like, I'm so curious on what happens before you have this like huge life change, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: So it was interesting to me because I, so when I joined Cisco, I, at, at this point, right, like I had spent so much time with the Air Force, I was pretty clear that, like, I loved leading people. Mm -hmm. Like, that, to me, was, like, a huge, huge part of my life, right? Yeah, I was great at math and sciences, and I could learn engineering stuff very easily, and communication was, you know, something that I'd been working and honing in on, like, in the Air Force. You were presenting to, like, colonels and generals regularly. Um, But I think for me, I knew that I, like, deep down, I knew that I wanted to lead other people. Like it was always about the people for me. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that my first day, uh, my manager actually asked me like, what's your, what's your goal? Right. And I said, I want to lead people. And he was like, well, why don't we make it through like the first six months or something like that? Or, oh, no way. This is like in the beginning, very beginning. Gosh! Gotcha. So, like, I, I was very clear where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I wanted to lead other people, but who's this 22 year old kid to tell, you know, this 40 year old that he wants to lead people. Right, and I think that was something that I knew very clearly right in the beginning. So you know, I kind of I kind of buried that down and kept moving forward. I found other ways to lead people. So I helped with like the early and career network, and I did a lot of mentorship. Um, and I did all the you know I did all the extracurriculars and side projects to help like lead and mentor and coach as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a, it was only about like you know ten percent of my day to day job. To interject real quick, sure. it's like I find what you said so interesting because obviously I'm
0: 22. And it's like I feel like I've had a calling too to like, you know, lead and do yeah. certain things. But there's also this part of me that's like, you don't know shit. You're twenty two. Sure. So like how do you how do you how would you recommend someone like balances when they feel called to do something, yet they also understand like the importance of getting experience? Like
1: how do you well, like think, juggle those? Okay, so here's here's what I would tell you is the truth is you don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? But the truth is I don't know shit either. Right? And I've been doing this a long time. Like at some degree, you have to understand that nobody actually knows anything, right? But you do have the best intention and you're going to figure stuff out, right? Like if, you know, it's, it's so interesting for me to think about because like, you know, now I've worked with, you know, I'm 30 years old now. I've worked with billion dollar business owners. I'm not a billion dollar business owner, but I know things that they don't, mm-hmm. right? I've worked with people in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s. I know things that they don't right? It's like at, at some point you have to realize like, yeah, you're not going to know stuff. You're not going to have a lot of the experience, but you do have experience in different ways and you do have insights in different ways that are going to benefit this person. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big thing for me to realize, especially when I quit and I started my my career as a coach, right? Because it was like, who's this 28 year old kid to be coaching all these people,
2: right? Yeah.
1: And especially, you know. Now, even to this point, right, I'm coaching, you know, I'm coaching billion dollar business owners, nine figure business owners, and I've never had a business that big. Mm -hmm. But so how do you how do you get past like, do
0: you ever? Well, first question is, do you ever get imposter syndrome?
1: Not really, Really? um, because I don't think I don't think I'm being an imposter. I think I know I know a lot of stuff that they don't know. They got to where they got to with certain skill sets. But I also think they're missing certain pieces of the puzzle that would take them to the next level, and just because I haven't been there doesn't mean that they're not missing those pieces of the puzzle.
0: That's huge, because it's essentially it's like you're so confident in the the tools that you've built and, and the skills that you've crafted that sure. you know you'll be able to like serve them in a way that they maybe they and not, not
1: even aware. and not, I think the other part to it it's not even not even necessarily in my skills that I've crafted, but in my conviction to figure it out.
0: That's huge. So yeah. where do you? So how does someone go about building <laughs> this like bulletproof Superman-esque Xander Fryer conviction? Um, go back to seven years old. No, <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, I it's think- funny because I'm seeing this pattern with you. Yeah. And I've seen you do it a hundred times. I mean, we'll go into your business in a little bit. But within four months of you quitting your job, yeah. you're already on a six-figure run rate. Yeah, Within one year of you quitting your job, having zero idea what you're going to do, your business does a six-figure month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is not normal. It's not? That's not normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I met you the day, um, coincidentally, which we'll get into it, uh, to give out context, after you quit your job, having yeah. no clue. So I saw you go from literally nothing to this. But it's, it's so... It's like you could be doing anything, man. You could do a business building rocks or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's the conviction that you have and the belief in yourself. Yeah. So do you, So
1: you're saying it kind of comes back to... The learning. Uh, it, it does in a way, right? So when you, have, when you have this belief, when you have this belief that you can go from a four to a 10 in anything that you want to do, right, you know that if some, if some opportunity requires you to be in a, like a level eight to be successful and you're a four, You know that if you go try it and you fail, but you learn, you'll be a five. And you go try it again and you fail, but you learn, you'll be a six. You go try it again and you fail, but you learn, you'll be a seven. Try it again, you'll fail, but you'll learn, you'll be an eight and you try it again and you succeed. Mm -hmm. So you know that that failure is not actually failure. It's just helping you step up each time, right? And it might take you a hundred times. I don't know right? But what ends up happening when you have this like root belief that you can grow in any area of your life to accomplish whatever it is you want in your life, um, you start to go and try things and fuck them up a little bit. So what's, what's and, something
0: recently that you've like, that you've, you, you had this goal? Sure. Which-
1: so pro, pro, like, honestly, like, um, you know, a big part of it is like, we're, so we're talking about now, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with Seven figure business owners, eight figure business owners, nine figure, you know, billion dollar business owners. I actually remember the first time that I took on a seven figure business owner and I was like, who the shit am I to be coaching this person?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like I have actually, it was, so it was the first, probably the first person that was really out of my comfort zone was a billion dollar big business owner. Um, it was Patty Aubrey. Yeah. So Patty Aubrey, who is the CEO and founder of, of uh, sorry, not shit you don't learn in college, it's it my <laughs> company of chicken soup for the soul. Right. And I was like, who am I to be coaching Patty Aubrey? right? She's, she's a CEO or was the CEO of a billion dollar business, right? And I just knew deep down that, that like I could see it. I knew deep down there was something that she needed from me. And I also knew that if there were pieces that I didn't have, I would learn and I would grow and I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. Pieces you'd figure out before you met with her type thing or?
0: No, like, no. Dur- during
1: the process. During the process. And okay. I think a lot of that also comes from Um, You know, being an engineer at Cisco, right? Cisco has such a big portfolio for anybody who's in like the tech space, like Cisco sells everything. They know it. Mm -hmm. Like Cisco is in that space, whatever space you're thinking of, Cisco's there. They're behind the scenes, you know, puppeteering behind stuff. Um, And so as an engineer in Cisco, there's no possible way for you to know everything. It's literally impossible. There's not enough brain space for any human in the world to know everything about all the Cisco technology. So, as an engineer, when you have to have all the answers, you actually just get comfortable with telling people, "I don't know, but I'll go figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'll find the right resources. I'll find the right people to talk to. I'll, fi- I'll figure out where to figure this out to make sure that we get to the end solution that you want." Does
0: that make sense? Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. And it's
1: it, but it all. I mean, it,
0: it's funny because it keeps tying back to this like belief in yourself. Sure. to Figure it out, and it yeah. reminds me of that quote in the Alchemist where it's like, when you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen. Sure. But what you see is so many people are so scared to to test what they don't know to or take, put themselves the in the situation yeah,
1: yeah. cuz and i so that kind of goes back to like where that belief comes from though is like if you think of this idea of um of this idea of i can grow to like become this level each time the way that i explain it to my clients it's like each time you take a risk and you survive you build your confidence you build and the analogy i always give it's like the poker chip stack Right? If you've only got like $5 worth of chips, you're betting you're betting $1 $1 chips. Right? So you're only betting these $1 chips because you've only got five chips. But once you make a bet and you might lose a chip, right? So you're going to make a bet and you're going to lose it, right? But you make another bet and then you win. Right? And I think like most people most people don't realize like, you know, Vegas like at Vegas like the odds are against you. You're going to lose most of the time. Or if you keep playing long enough, you'll lose. What most people don't realize, just like you're talking about with The Alchemist, it's like, if you play the game long enough, life is in your favor, right? Like, I think that's more of what, um, what's the name, Paulo Coelho is talking about. It's like, like, you have to take risks and you will lose some, but life is actually in your favor. Life is actually conspiring to help you out. So you might lose two chips, but you'll make four. Mm. You might lose three, but you'll make ten. If you're willing to take the risk, if you're willing to bet, but if you're not willing to play the game, you stay stuck at five chips, Mm-hmm. right? But, so you start off with like $1 bets, right? You lose a few, you make a few. But now you go from $5 to $10. Now you can make $2 bets, right? So now you start, you, you lose 4 bucks, but you make 20 Now you can make $5 bets,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So as you start to grow this chip stack, which, you know, if you think about it, for me, had happened all the way back since I was seven years old, right? Because I was constantly taking risks, trying to learn how to fix this and grow better and you're fucking up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone asked me the other day, they're like, Xander, how'd you learn, how'd you learn to do so much stuff at such a young age? And I said, Well, I love to break shit.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's one of the biggest things I learned for you from you, I remember, was you're like, fuck up fast.
1: Yeah, fuck like if you want to be successful, like fuck up faster. Um, and so, you know, basically like if you think of this idea that like every time I fuck up, I grow, right? But also every time you fuck up and you grow. You get better and you build confidence. So you start to grow quicker. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like, you know, where that confidence comes from is like playing that game continuously, continuously, continuing to bet and bet and bet until you get a big, you know, big chip stack and you know the game of poker a little bit better. And then you can make some bigger bets. You can take some bigger risks. You can have a $200,000 a year job at Cisco and throw it into the blender because you've got enough chips. So tell us about right?
0: that. Because <laughs> I'm sure. so
1: curious in terms – because
0: I had my own like existential crisis and my own, you know, leap of faith yeah. taking a completely different path. And, you know, that was like four years ago. And so I've just – I'm so fascinated on what brought you to that moment.
1: Yeah. So, so like we were talking about, I think while I was at Cisco, there was a lot of build up, mm-hmm. right? I was there five years. I was very successful, but, you know, with every, with every like raise and with every promotion, uh, you know, I'd make more money and I'd get this like sharp peak of joy, right? You're like, woohoo, more money. Okay, what do I do with this? I'm going to go spend it on tequila at the bar yeah. or something, <laughs> right? Like. Um, so it was like you know these sharp peaks of joy just followed by a, just a dull hunger for more, mm-hmm. and it was just this process for five straight years. And after five years of doing that and continuing to tell people I want to be a leader, I want to so be you a were leader. telling people the that. whole time. And you know, in the corporate world, it was something that like, it, especially in Cisco, a very old school company, right? It just like you can't do that within your first five years. Um. And basically it got to the point where like there was a lot of buildup there and I was, I was starting to like think about like, you know, this isn't it. Like what am I going to do? Like there, I know that I'm meant for something more. I know that there's something else and like I just can't find it right here. And there, so there was some tension for probably the last like year, year and a half uh, while I was at Cisco and I had a conversation with one of my uh, one of my mentors um, and this was – Jeez, when, this was May, 2016. So how long before? A couple or a couple months before okay. I quit. Okay. Um, well, we'll get to that part. <laughs> so the suspension builds. Yeah. So, um, I had this conversation with my mentor, James, uh, James, and he was a speaker in the health and wellness space, traveled the world, making seven figures. And we were out at the bar well tequila tequila is like the lubricant for my life apparently it's like, it's like let's let um, shit fly right yeah now. and he, he asked me he's like Xander like you could do anything like what like what what are your plans like what do you want to do with your life he's like what would you do if you couldn't fail and I was like oh man that's a great question so I told him I was like honestly like I mentor and coach people full time like I don't know how to do that I don't even, don't even know what that means but like I've been trying to do that in like different parts of Cisco it's only about 10% of my job right now um, but I love leading and mentoring people. And he goes, so why aren't you doing that? And I go, well, I've got this great career that's, you know, paying me, you know, a ton of money. I've got this ton of momentum. Um, you know, that week I actually found out that they had like a three-year plan for me to become a manager and then a senior manager and then a director. Um, so they had the plan for me to become a Your leader. My road was and, paved, yeah. Yeah. My road was paved. It wasn't like it was, you know, it wasn't like I was in a dead end job. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, so I was like, yeah, I've got all this momentum. I'm being paid great, you know, all this stuff. And he goes, just because there's a path laid out in front of you, does that mean you should walk it? And just because you're good at something, does that mean you should do it? And that really kind of, like, made me think for a second. He goes, Xander, you know the difference between you and me? And he was making seven figures at this point. (laughs) So I go, "Uh, you make a shit ton more money than I do, (laughs) (laughs) a-hole. And he goes, the difference between you and me is – I'm living my dream, and ever since you got kicked out of the Air Force, you've just been dreaming yours. And this was a kid. You know, I was a kid. I was 27 years old at the time, and I had a lot of confidence and a lot of cockiness about my success, you know, this, like, outward success that everybody saw I had. All my friends, my family all were like, oh, Xander's so successful at Cisco. Like, I had a lot – this facade Mm -hmm. of success, and he saw right through it, and he was basically just like, dude, you're a scared child, (laughs) and I remember him telling me that and I remember him being like you know at some point when you become truly financially free you'll realize that the one resource you can never get back is your time Mm. and I remember having that conversation with him and it was on a Saturday I couldn't stop thinking about it all Sunday and then Monday morning I went back to work and it was like you know it was like those morning conference calls like conference calls in the morning to set up more conference calls later that week so it was like I had an 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And I, all I could think about was like, I'm never getting that hour back. And then the 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., I'm never getting that hour back. The 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., I'm never getting that hour back. You know, 11 to 12. And by lunch, I basically, um, I just picked up my phone and I called my manager and I was like, Frank, I'm done. And he was just like, what? Like no con, No No like, context. No like, leaving con- up Like, Frank, no, like, you know, I'm feeling no like, No context. Just, boom. <laughs> and he just goes, he goes, I don't understand. What do you mean? I was like, Frank, I have to quit. And he goes, did you like find another job? Like, what's going on? Like, why didn't you tell me something? And I go, honestly, I didn't find anything. He's like, I don't get it. What do you mean? You're done. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this isn't it. Wow. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Like, like, we'll talk, let's talk later this week. Like, go take a breath. You know, like, like you're getting emotional. I was like, no, like (laughs) I've never been clearer in my entire life. And so we kind of, we put it on hold for a week and I went back to him a week you know, at the end of the week, I was like, no, I'm still done. And, you know, it was super interesting because I made that decision. You know, a lot of people would call it emotional, but really it was a decision made void of fear. Mm. Right. Like I had, I had let all of my, like, I, you know, I pushed all my fear aside because James had basically pointed out, like the only reason I was there it was because I was afraid. I was afraid of risk. I was afraid of the unknown. I was afraid of people judging me for quitting my job and like being like, oh, he's that crazy guy that you just quit his job and he's going to go do something weird and he's going to go on a sabbatical and then he'll come right back in a year or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I made that decision completely void of any fear. Mm-hmm. It was just a strictly purpose-based decision. And how
0: did you – because I know how close you are with your family. Yeah. And I think a lot of people – like this is literally the number one f- – thing that holds them back from ever doing something is they're yeah. so scared of not necessarily what society thinks of them although that can play but the people factor, that love them but it's like the people in their inner circle and yeah. i know for you like what was what was that <laughs> yeah.
1: like um it was interesting so it was it was hard um i still remember i had a lot of support from um you know a lot of my family um the hard one for me was actually my mom Because my mom was the most important person in my life, like always has been like when I got my DUI, she was the one that like called me up to be like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Right? Like she, like she was the one that took care of me, right? She's always supported me in everything that I've been through. And when I told my mom, you know, I expected her to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Right? And her first response was actually, I don't think you should do that. And I, I couldn't figure out why. I was like, why? Like the, like the woman that I love the most in my life is telling me not to do this. But I know that I need to do this and I don't understand why. Um, and so I sat on that for a couple of days and I realized that you know, my mom you know, immigrated from Pakistan, right? So she came to the U.S. to build uh, a stable and you know, this like, secure life for her family away from everything that she had experienced growing up. And I had it and I was throwing it away. In her eyes. In her eyes, mm-hmm. right? And so I actually, I remember a couple of days later having to have a conversation with my mom and just being like, look, I want you to, I, I get it. I understand you think I'm throwing my life away, but I want you to realize that you did such a good job raising me that I can see even further than you can. <laughs> wow. And you need to trust that I'm doing the right thing. And she was like, okay. And she didn't trust that I obviously she was freaking out but <laughs> she listened but, to me
0: and you know it's interesting because I think everyone hopefully in their life will have that opportunity yeah I mean it's the scariest thing in the world but yeah. when you take that leap and there's going to be people that you're going to have to have those conversations oh sure. and there's going to be people who don't get it and it kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of that there's like that Hawaiian saying and I forget how it goes it's like um uh, I forgive you. I love you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I love you. Or so I like. Yeah, I but, know. I know what you're talking but it's about. It's like essentially you're saying, like, "Look, I hear you." Like the
1: ho'opono-ono or something. Yeah, like so right? we will <laughs> so we'll
0: fix it. But it's like you're acknowledging them and you're acknowledging what they're saying, and you're saying, "And I'm doing this thing because it's it's what's best for me." Yeah. Like I think that's the way to do it because if you don't listen to, if you don't acknowledge where they're coming from, like you said, it's your mom. It's like you're her baby, right. and if you like in her eyes, she's like Xander's throwing his life away. Like he's gonna, yeah. her mind's probably think you're gonna be on like on a street corner, like getting yep. out of the trash can, because <laughs> you know what I mean. And yeah. I think it's just like it takes a lot of self awareness to understand where she's coming from, sure, and then not letting
1: her fear project onto you that's because, because that's especially very because this easy. is your parent, right? this yeah. is like she's seen me since I was like you know pooping in the grass or something like that, right? Like. Mm. So she's been there to support me through all of my life. But yeah, it's a very difficult conversation to have. And pretty much like you mentioned, anybody who wants to do anything will have to have those conversations at some point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so you do it. So I do it. <laughs> and your next step is calling up the office. Oh, yeah. um, so, oh, yeah. So
0: yeah, so I'll let you. Yeah, ab- so,
1: absolutely. So, so basically, um, yeah, so I end up, up putting in a two months notice um cuz I didn't want to leave my team high and dry. So I basically worked out the rest of the uh the fiscal year to make sure that we did really well. Um and then I ended up quitting. You know, I think it was like August 1st, 2016. I took a couple days off to really like marinate in my own confusion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and then 2 days later, I remember basically the first thing that I did uh, I turn on my phone. I had turned off my phone for two days. I turn on my phone uh, and I just Google uh, Jack Canfield, uh, Jack Canfield phone number. Um, I love how and you so, like, thought you'd get his personal cell Yeah, phone. right. <laughs> but hey, I got the office. I got something. Yeah, yeah. So I got Jack Canfield phone number and I called it, got his office, ended up talking to his director of operations uh, for about 30 minutes. I just called him up. I was like, hey, my name's Xander. I just quit my job can I come hang out with you guys? <laughs> 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 um, and ended up basically telling him my story for the next, um, you know, the next 30 minutes. And by the end of that conversation had, a flight booked out to Arizona, ended up flying out to Arizona, ended up working with like him and his executive team, going through his trainings, met you that later that week at, um, breakthrough to success. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack's like, uh, his big week long event. um, but that was really where, you know, I, cause when I quit, I quit with this idea of, I don't know what I want to do. I just know that it isn't this. And so the reason, the reason that I did that, you know, I'd, I'd read a lot of Jack's books. I'd, you know, watched a lot of his stuff. Obviously, like I had a lot of people that I had learned from in the self-development space, but his stuff really resonated with me. Um, so he was the first person I called and basically like at the end of that conversation, they're just like, get out to Arizona right now. Like, we'll figure this out. I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> we are like, I'm in. I'm in. I
0: love it. What yeah. would you say? Cause I know you've had the chance to work with Jack yeah. and his team. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned from Jack? Oh,
1: I think the biggest thing, I mean, that's, that's a really it's a tough question. It's a really tough question. Um, cause I've learned a lot from Jack. I've learned a lot in terms of like the principles that he teaches, what makes people successful, what prevents you from being successful. Um, but honestly, the thing that I learned from Jack is not necessarily from what he teaches, but just who he is. Mm. And so when you get to spend a lot of time with him, you start to see, you just start to see kind of like what we were talking about earlier. He just is. Yeah. Uh, I totally just without yeah. the he doesn't there's no trying to do this there's no trying to he just is he just exists but because he just exists he's able to be this massive massive influence on a lot of people without trying too hard I mean he works it's not saying he doesn't work yeah like he works his ass off he works you know for Not to call you old, Jack, but you're old. (laughs) Um, I love you. Jack, you're
0: a young spirit. You're you're a young
1: spirit for sure. Um, We're going to Burning Man at some point. Yes, we're Um, need to make that happen. We'll make that happen. But, you know, for like truthfully, right? Like he works harder than anybody I've ever met for his age, but it's not work to him.
0: It's like true flow.
1: Right. Like somebody, somebody, uh, I think it was during the train, like when I was going through the trainings with him, um, somebody asked him. Like, what, like, when are you going to retire, Jack? You're like, you know, 72, 73, 74 or whatever. Um, and They're like, when are you going to retire? And he asks, well, define retirement. And she said, I don't know, like playing golf every day and like, you know, drinking whiskey or like something like that. And he goes, well, then probably never. And he's like, but I define retirement as doing what you want to do whenever you want to do it. And I'm doing that. So I've been retired for a long time. And I remember I remember hearing him say that and after after I quit my job, after I went back to California, we actually held a retirement party for me. <laughs> oh my, that was so good. At, at twenty at twenty-eight. You you would be the guy who would
0: throw a retirement party. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, so I threw a retirement party at twenty-eight. So that was pretty entertaining. Um, but for you know, I honestly I think when it comes to just like learning from Jack, there's so many All the little tips, all the little tricks, the secrets, the skills, the systems, everything that he teaches is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But at the base of it all, it's just he just is like unapologetically Jack Canfield.
0: Yeah. And it's so funny you say that because... You know, I too have learned a ton from Jack and yeah. it wasn't until I met, like the second time I met him, he remembered my name. Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like <laughs> I stood in a line of 500 people, waited three hours to be the last one to meet you and you remember my fucking name the next time we hang out? Yep. Like, I'm not like, there's tons of people you're meeting on a daily basis yep. and that was like the segue into getting to know him and being like, wow, this dude like is genuinely like Walking the talk so much, uh-huh. and I think that was what like when I look at people who inspire me. When I'm 73, it's like I want to be doing what Jack's doing. Exactly. But also, like to your point, more importantly, I want to be being the Jake that is Jake, the way that Jack is being yeah. the Jack that is Jack.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: And in terms of like you know the Canfield Squad, which we're giving so much love to here right now, <laughs> uh, rightfully so. So, so Patty, um, you know, is Jack's kind of right hand. Or yeah, was for many years. And uh, what is the biggest thing you've learned from Patty? Oh man,
1: I think from Patty, and this is, this is actually something you like, obviously like you guys kind of like when we worked together, you probably got this, but the thing, the thing from Patty that I got that I take into my business every single day now, um, is she cares so much about everybody else. Like she, her intention is solely built around the idea of wanting to get to more people, wanting to help more people, wanting to influence more people, impact more people. And she forgets about herself sometimes, (laughs) but it's all truly built around this idea of servant leadership. Um, And that was something for me that when I saw, when I saw the way that Patty runs her life and runs her business and the sacrifices she makes for other people, you can't help but be inspired by that hmm. because she, she will do so many things unselfishly for other people and work her ass off and do whatever she needs to do to make things happen for other people. Um, it's, it's hard to compare the way that she does that, the passion she does that with the energy, energy she does that with to anybody else that I've ever met. Wow. Yeah. And,
0: I, and it makes sense because in order to build a billion dollar brand and, and do all the, you know external. Th- Right. success that she's had it's like you have to fucking care yeah like you don't just you get to, really to that point. Care, like, yeah. you have to care so deeply and it's really cool to hear yeah um because of course she has all these other skills but that's the biggest one yeah that you take away so i'm curious i've like i said before i introduced you like one of the brightest people <laughs> i actually said the brightest guy i've ever met
2: oh, so, not when i was
0: seven so, well <laughs> that incidents led you there yeah so you have like this unique ability and I guess a little bit of context here is we, we co-created an event called the Kaizen Connection. Yeah. And this was back like two years ago. The tickets were like 250 bucks. Adorable. And I was and like, you know, now it's like I sell 5,000 and, um, yeah. you know, on the phone, but it's like, then I was like, I felt like such a fraud. I was like selling these tickets. I'm like, but what if I was so scared? Basically, you coached me through this and basically what I'm trying to get at is how do you get people to clarity so well? Out of anyone I've met in like, you know, from therapists to coaches, you have a way of distilling, getting me to the fear and seeing that and then allowing me to take action. Like, how have you cultivated that
1: skill? Oh, man. Uh, it's interesting. Somebody somebody the other day asked me, or I guess it was more of a statement. They said, Xander, well, it was a question. It was, Xander, does it feel shitty that you're not doing anything with your engineering degree anymore? And I said, no. Because you're wrong. My life right now is engineering. It's except in engineering, instead of engineering technology or engineering networks or engineering, you know, something like that, I'm engineering people. I'm engineering beliefs. I'm engineering, you know, like, if you think about it, I was in the world of CPUs and networks, right? The human mind is the most complex CPU and network. Of all time. Of <laughs> all time. Yeah. And so a lot of what I've spent over the last... You know, a lot of the time I've spent over the last two to three years, and obviously a lot of time before that, I was always fascinated with the human mind, the human brain, subconscious versus conscious, fears versus purpose, you know, the different parts of the brain and how we make decisions and everything like that. Um, but really, it's it's the engineering in me, right? It's the ability to, um, you know, really like as, you, as you're an engineer, especially when you're like troubleshooting problems in a network or troubleshooting problems in a computer, right? It's It's a lot of logical rational moving through stuff to just figure out like oh here's the switch that's flipped the wrong way
2: mm-hmm.
1: right so for me it's if you think about it, I've been doing this well I haven't been in the coaching space for you know more than two years well if you go back to like Air Force ROTC that mm-hmm. was four you know, like four years ago unquote. yeah the real coaching space I've actually been developing this skill set of problem solving with technology for the better part of you know a decade and a half mm-hmm So it's been a lot of experience.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, that's important because like someone could just look at you and be like, you quit your job and then within four months you're on a six-figure run rate and doing all this stuff. It's like, look at all the work you've been doing and I think it's so easy to miss that. And other people too, like when they switch careers, they're like, well, how is this going to serve me? It's like all of your unique, the things that you've learned are going to serve you in your unique way. And so it's like, it's like, I, I love the way you answer that question. Oh, when I, think, I still use it. Yeah, you know?
1: I, I still use engineering. Like, even, like, when we first met, right? I still remember when I, like, I had just quit my job. I just turned 28, like, a day before I met you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at this 19-year-old kid who has already gone, started going down this path. And I was like, what the fuck, <laughs> man? I was like, that's not fair. Like, I and I got, like, a little bit jealous. I was like, he gets to do this at 19? I had to wait till 28? Like, but then I remember – I think it was actually probably a conversation we had um, because like I had a decade worth of experiences that had really – like it all served me in different mm-hmm. ways to get me to where I was at at that point. And obviously you know, it was a big part of my ability towards taking you know where I was at. And launching it forward in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think remembering that for, you know, a lot of people when they feel like, you know, it was time wasted, you know, maybe they're 40 or 50 or something. It was time, like one of one of my favorite stories is like Jack didn't become a bestseller until he was 55. That is so funny. Right? Like Jack, had, Jack as like a that.
0: famous person. I mean, he sold what? He's on his way to a billion he's books. He's like
1: second to God. Yeah. He has. Yeah, yeah. He has like sold more books than anybody. And he didn't become a bestseller until 55, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a a whole half a century there that could be considered, quote unquote, wasted. And now this is one of the most influential men in history. And I think in
0: our world, and especially people who are my age and younger, it's like you grow up with these cell phones, so you're kind of bombarded with like... Another twenty-one-year-old Bitcoin millionaire. Oh my god! And you know what yeah. I mean? It's like you are like fuck. Like if I am not a millionaire, I am I'm worthless. Time, like I am a piece of shit, dude. Like I've like I've deleted my Instagram like multiple times. I am actually like I deleted it for a little bit just to get clarity because I find that yeah. like the the way culture is, and obviously it depends on who you are following, because the algorithm will spit you more of what you like. Sure, yeah, but it's it's like r- this patience. Like that's my thing. It's like my biggest thing. I am like Jake, patience. Yeah, you know, because it's it's easy to get influenced by other people and. I guess speaking of that, who, who are like, would you say right now, who's one of your biggest role models or people who's, um, oh, your life? Oh
1: man. Um, there's a lot. Um, right now, one of, as I'd say as a business owner, um, it'd be one of my personal mentors, Bedros Koulian. Um, so Bedros is the, uh, is the CEO and founder of a uh, company, Fit Body Bootcamp.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're multiple, they're a multiple nine figure business. Um, he's very successful in the business space, but, I think as a business owner, Bedros is great, but just as a leader, he's a different level of person, hmm. um, you know, from from the way he carries himself to the way that he cares about people to the, the way he interacts, to the way he takes responsibility for everything that's going on in his life, um, the way he is as a family member, you know, to his wife, to his kids, to his, you know, how much he cares to his friends. Um, you know, he's someone that's, I've been working with him for just about six months now, and he's incredibly inspiring just in terms of the way that he acts as a person in everything that he does in life. Um, but I haven't, I haven't truly met a lot of leaders that really line up to Bedros and what he's doing and, you know, the team that he's built and the people that he impacts, at least not to this point. So. Yeah, I, I heard him speak at, at
0: Craig's retreat. which yeah. you you got me to go to, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's the real deal." Right? He definitely gives that aura of like he is the real deal. Yeah, you know, he lives it and breathes it.
1: Absolutely. And it's you know it's interesting because like you know I used to have standing mini- meetings with like the Disney CIO and with like C level executives at like Sony and and you know NBC and like all these different places. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Bedros is one of the first people that I've really really felt like wow like I look up to that guy. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So
1: what are you scared of? <laughs> oh, man. I'm scared of spiders. Really? Yeah. Like legitimately me, you're scared of spiders? They sh- scare the shit out of me. Sharks. Sharks? Um, I think it's, it's interesting because I'm scared of a lot of stuff. I think people think that like they see me do all this weird shit. They see me do all these things and they think like, oh, Xander has no fear. It's like, no, I have. I'm scared of heights. Heights, really. like, And I was going to be a pilot in the Air Force. Think about that really? one. <laughs> have, you been, have you been skydiving? <laughs> no. Um, I will go skydiving. So here's the thing, though. It's like I have I have all these fears. I have just as much fear as everybody else does. Um, I just don't dictate my life based on fears. You know, like, And I think we've talked about this, but like every decision that we make, every single decision that we make comes from either fear or purpose, right? And it means... Every moment, you actually have both opportunities, right? It doesn't matter how big the moment or how small the moment. I think a lot of people get this idea that, like, purpose is this some end destination that you have to build towards. Like, find it under a rock. Yeah, journey, like, oh, my God, yeah. I found my purpose, right? No, purpose is actually a decision. Purpose is a decision that's made in every moment of every single day, right? And every day, you have moments where you can make decisions from fear or from purpose, right? And I think just like everybody else, I have all those feel, fears, I just don't let those fears dictate my decisions. So I still make my decisions courageously in the face of fear toward purpose. Right? So like I, like even thinking about back to like when I quit my job, like people were like, how could you do that? Like it was like I was terrified. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the scariest things I've ever done. I remember writing out all my fears. Like I journaled all my fears out just to get them out of my head so they'd stop stewing around and causing havoc in my subconscious. But basically it was like, I had fears of like, you know, I'm going to quit my job and I'm never going to figure out how to make money. And if I can't make money, then I'm going to forego my lease. And then I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment. Once I get kicked out of my apartment, because I'm failing, like nobody's going to love me. I'm not going to be able to go stay on anyone's couch. So I'm going to be a homeless Mm -hmm. Venice guy. And then I've never been homeless before. So I'm not going to be able to figure that out. So eventually I'm going to die. Right. Like that's the those are the yeah. stories we take ourselves. But, down. but
0: you actually followed the trail. Oh, the yeah. End.
1: I follow it all the way to the end, which is helpful, because if you don't stop at the end, then you're like, you know, what's what else is there? It's right? like worse than it's. You know, yeah. Like, you know, it's just, it, you know, like it'll go all the way down to like, you know, like I'll be a homeless person on Venice Beach and then there'll be a tsunami and it'll consume me. Yeah. I don't know. Right. But like we all have these fears. Right. And so most people, most people are just too scared to even think the fear. Right? Because why? They don't want to be that person that's afraid. Right? Well, as long as you don't let that fear dictate your decisions, it's okay to be afraid. And I think that was something that I realized. It's like, I'm scared of a lot of stuff. I just don't let those fears actually dictate my actions, I don't let them dictate my direction anymore.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really wanted to ask you this before, but I was waiting (laughs) for the interview can you tell us briefly by the about- way
1: for everybody that's listening out in podcast land there was like a 30 minute time frame when we were getting set up <laughs> and jake and i jake basically told me so you're not allowed to talk to me for the next 30 <laughs> minutes because i have to wait to ask these questions I was like we're gonna
0: super surface level
1: <laughs> how was your tea
2: yeah <laughs>
0: um so can you tell us about finding your girlfriend because i love this story And I'll actually like want to hear a little bit more about (laughs) it. It's obviously like,
1: it is like pretty awesome how it transpired. Yeah. So she tells the story better. The wonderful Maddie. The Maddie. Um, So she tells the story better because, well, as the story goes, her version is the true version, (laughs) mine is my version. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, so this was. November of 2017, November and, of last and year. quick
0: interjection, why I wanted to bring this up is because I think there's a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs. Yeah. You're trying to find a girlfriend, Jake? Is that why? I'm not, not trying to find right. a girlfriend. So um, let's turn
1: the tables here. I'm going to start asking you the questions, Jake. Let's do it. No, let's okay. do it. <laughs> um,
0: but like, you know, in this, it's, I feel like there's a lot of entrepreneurs or people. It's how do you have both? How yeah. do you have, you're building a business, which is taking all your time, and then you have love in your life and you're healthy and, you know, you have all these things, but I just wanted to put that into context for why I think it's really... No,
1: I think I think that's really important because especially like as I was starting my business, it was uh, like you quit your job and you go for this big dream and this big purpose, right? And it can become very easy just to forget about everything else, right? Because there obviously there's this fear of it all being taken away from you,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Um, And another one of my mentors, Craig Ballantyne, good friend, great mentor, another amazing person, another person who inspires me, Um, Craig, uh, I did a workshop with him in early 2017 and we set some 2017 goals, some of them business related, some of them personal related. One of the personal related ones was by the end of 2017, I wanted to meet an amazing girl. I had, I'd finally gotten my business up and running. Was it meet an amazing girl or have a girl? Like, I'm really curious on like what. It, it was for you know, like, I, I think at that point I had like, my world had been turned upside down. I didn't like titles. I didn't like the title of yeah. girlfriend. I didn't like the title of, you know, anything like that. It was just like, I wanted to meet someone that I connected with and I could like, like on a deep, on a deep level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, Craig, you know, Craig mentored me throughout the year. And we got to about, I think we got to about uh, end of October, early November. And I had just been to like three straight weddings, like a couple <laughs> of them, a couple of them where I was like in the, in the bridal party You're and like diving for the flowers. And yeah. And he, no, well, so Craig's getting these, you know, these accountability updates from me that are like, oh my God, had such a great weekend. Like I love being around my friends that are getting married, you know, seeing this all happen. They're so happy. And Craig just called me out. He's like, dude, your business is phenomenal right now what are you doing about this goal around meeting an amazing girl, right? And so I had, I basically had to have somebody call me out yeah. to keep me balanced, right? Because it can be very comfortable to stay in that imbalance, right? Because venturing out into this other area, there was these fears of like, oh, if I go focus on my dating life a little bit more, my business is gonna crash or something yeah. like that, right? Like if I go spend more time over here, this whole thing is gonna just take a nosedive. Um, but he called me out and he's basically like, You know, what have you been doing? And I was like, honestly, I haven't been doing anything. I haven't been dating. I haven't been doing anything. And it'd been about three years since I'd had a girlfriend. And I knew this was something that like, I I really did want to start meeting people and see if I could find someone that I could really connect with. And he just goes, two words, public accountability. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. And so I go, I went into my Facebook group. This is a business Facebook group, mind you, um, of about 2,500 people. And I do a Facebook live. Titled "Help Me Find Love," and it was like thirty minutes of telling everybody, you know, like I, I, I need to make, I need to meet an amazing girl before the end of 2017. This was one of my 2017 goals, um, and uh, you know, like I'm setting myself, I'm holding myself accountable with you guys. So if I don't meet an amazing girl in the next sixty days. I will do whatever weird shit you guys come up with, and it's just like droves of like you're in the Facebook group. You probably saw it. Uh, I don't remember this, but I would have. I think I need to go back in the comments. Go, go find it. But it was like you know, some of them were like shave your head. Others of them were like dance on the third street promenade naked. Like donate your car to charity. Like like all sorts of stuff that like I was gonna have to do if I didn't find an amazing girl by the end of 2017. And the other my my favorite part about this right is like I work with a lot of coaches. I work with a lot of people that are very conscious. And it was just so entertaining because you get a bunch of like love and like relationship coaches that are like, "Sandra, you can't force love. Like, you know, you need to work on yourself first. I'm like, oh my God, like, come on, like get off your self-righteous horse right now. This is like, I'm getting myself out of my comfort zone yeah. <laughs> to go take the actions. I know you need to work on yourself. I've been working on myself for the last 30 years. Like yeah. I'm just not taking the actions to put myself out there. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm doing this. Um, I love that. It was so funny to me though, because a lot of people that, you know, a lot of people love to give advice and not really live on their own. Like we talked totally. about, like Jack walks the walk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Most coaches, like don't get me wrong, i work with a lot of coaches and I am a coach, but most coaches don't actually walk the walk, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to be successful in the coaching space, you, you better, walk, walk, you better walk the goddamn walk first. Um, anyways, I'll get off my high horse. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically like I had a bunch, of pe- a bunch of people shit talk. A bunch of people tell me like you got to go do this weird crazy shit. But then I had a lot of people start to reach out to me that were like, I want to set you up with my cousin. I want to set you up with my best friend. I want to set you up with my daughter. So I had a ton of people setting me up on dates. So I went on a few dates uh, over the next you know, few weeks. But I also had this uh, amazing girl from Australia uh, reach out to me. And she just, she slid into my DM. (laughs) Oh, this is like a modern version
0: of the notebook right now. (laughs) She
1: slid into my DM and she just sent me a message and it said something along the lines of like, hey, I don't know what could come from this. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to say this, but I'm just very attracted to your energy. I'm very attracted to everything you're doing. And I'd just love to see if we could just hop on Skype or hop on Zoom and just connect. I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up doing a Zoom call with her. Um, amazing, cute girl. Her name's Maddie Applin, if anybody's wondering. Um, but she lived in Australia, right? It's like, what am I going to do? I live in San Diego, right? So I kind of didn't really think too much about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but she reached back out to me and she was just like, you know, like there was definitely something there. Like, can we set up another zoom call? I was like, yeah, sure. So we set up another zoom call and the, the weekend of our second zoom call I don't remember exactly what it was, and she tells this story a little bit better. I remember telling her that like something broke in my business, and we'd have to reschedule the Zoom call. From her side of the story, apparently I stood her up <laughs> 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 and just didn't show. <laughs> I think I'm gonna take that in. I may have, I may have just been a no-show. Yeah, it doesn't um, sound like you, but who and knows? I, miscommunication. It, yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> so this is where we disagree on this story, but um. Basically, like, you know, what I realized is, like, at that moment, I was more focused on continuing to focus on the business. Why? Because it was comfortable for me, right? The business was comfortable for me. This, like, figuring out dating and love life, that was very uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. It had been a few years since I dated anybody. It's been a few years since I had been open and vulnerable and really made anything like that happen. Um, and so we ended up not having that second call. And she reached out to me again right after the call. This is, like, end of November, beginning of De- of December, I think. And she just goes, hey, you know, I don't think anything's going to come from this if we're, you know, on the other side of the world, if we never meet in person. Um, I'm, fa- I'm visiting my dad in Dubai. Her dad lived in Dubai. I'm visiting my dad in Dubai over, uh, over Christmas. What if I stop by in San Diego and we meet in person? Now, I don't know if you ever took geography in school. I'm pretty sure that's far <laughs> away from San Diego. Dubai and San Diego are not close to each other. Um but me being me I chose to ignore that detail and was like yeah sure. Um you know if you show up in San Diego like we'll meet we'll we'll do whatever. And so she ended up coming out to San Diego uh December 29th 2 days Oh my goodness. 2 days before the January end, first. 2 days before the end of the year we met December 29th. Um, and just really connected, really hit it off. She ended up staying a week. She was going to go to Dallas to meet some friends for new Year's. She ended up just staying. Um, and the rest is kind of history. We've been going back and forth between Brisbane and the U S for the last nine, 10 months. Um, and she'll actually be moving out here, uh, later this month.
0: Dude, I love it. And I love it also because it's so like, I think again, with like media or whatever, we always think like, <coughs> Oh, like love and relationships has to have some way. It's like, That is such a modern way and it happens so beautifully, you know, like on Zoom and like DMs and whatever, but it's like, and obviously like you both like awesome big shout out to Maddie for like taking massive action. You know what I mean? You
1: You go, you go back to it too. And she was like, we were talking about fear, right? She said she had that DM written and sitting in like that, like chat box for like 45 minutes yeah thinking like what you know like i'm gonna send this and he's just gonna think i'm such a creeper like he's gonna judge me Mm -hmm. right because like i was this like successful entrepreneur and like you know i was the head of this group and like everything like that and so for 45 minutes she convinced herself not to send it yeah because of fear and it's like what if she didn't send it what if she didn't and what if she never clicked enter right
0: and so kind of to that belief of like if i have a girlfriend i won't have time for the business yeah what's your perspective on that now
1: I think it's bullshit. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of the things that it has really allowed me to do. It's um, I can't remember who I learned this from. It may have been from Tim Ferriss, um, but he mentions the the law of limitations, right? So when you set when you set a deadline on something, right? So the the example I always love to use it's like um, if you're in college, right? Which you have a little bit of experience with, Jake. But I remember there <laughs> first semester. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you're in college, if you say you have a midterm paper due at the midterm, it's assigned at the beginning of the term and you have it at the midterm, right? For those couple of months, right, it takes you the full couple of months to actually finish it. You finish it right before the deadline. If you had that same paper due in three days, you'd finish it in three days. because you And you'd probably finish it better and more efficiently, right? Right. And it's because of the law of limitations, whatever we allow ourselves, whatever time we allow ourselves to take, whatever space we allow ourselves to take, we take, Mm -hmm. right? And so one of the things that I realized is by, you know, really understanding the importance of having love in my life and having that relationship and having, you know, this person, this significant other that I can share this journey with. Like I've I've known for a while that was something I, you know, I didn't want to ride this roller coaster alone. I want somebody to be sitting next to me as we go through all these ups, these downs, these twists, these turns, right? It's a lot mm-hmm. more fun that way. Um, and I knew that. But, you know, one of the things that, like, people don't tell you is, like, in, like, as an entrepreneur, when you're in a significant relationship, it just forces you to become a better entrepreneur, right? Mm. It forces you to grow as a person. It forces you to become better because you become more efficient with the time you have.
2: Mm. You
1: become a better leader, and to be honest, when you have someone there to share this journey with, you're a lot happier the whole time. Like you're actually enjoying the process. You appreciate the process. You're grateful for all the ups and all the downs, right? So, you know, for me it's like, it was it was scary at first to really like take my time away from my baby. But then when you realize that like the roller coaster's not gonna break, right? But I do wanna ride it with somebody else. Everything else just gets exponentially better.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think to, to your point too, it's like, you could totally be this successful dude alone. Sure. You know, like, I think that's obvious and for a lot of people, but it's also kind of like facing the fear of what's underneath that because yeah. yes, like, of course it'd be amazing together, but it's like, what are you scared of in order to get to that yeah. part of like, put whether it's putting yourself out, out there, like the worthiness conversation, you know what I mean? To have both or to allow yourself to have both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um... It's it's interesting because like we go back to like Bedros right. Bedros' mm-hmm. company is growing massively and growing very very quickly, and he's doing so many other things with his brand and with his you know his bigger mission of everything that they're doing around um, coaching entrepreneurs and helping you know the next generation of leaders doing so much. But he works four days a week. He doesn't work Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays. And Wednesday night at five p.m. No matter what. Everything turns off and he has date night with his wife. And those four days, the rest of those four days, he works his ass off and he's efficient as hell. Yeah. But he makes time for his kids and time for his family and time to travel because those are the things that really resonate with him. And because he takes that time, those four days, he accomplishes more in those four days than most people do in a month. Than most people do in a month.
0: Yeah. It really just, it's just such a strong reminder of like, you're going to spend your time so if you create the limitation, you're going to spend it
1: with like the energy that you're exactly. putting the towards. Exactly. So like when you have like a limited time that's like really time on, you spend it really on mm-hmm. and then you take your time off really off.
0: Yeah. So a little over a year and a half ago, um, it's kind of a little bit more personal, but um, I know you lost like a really close friend. Yeah. And I read your tribute actually this morning again. I remember when you wrote it and it's, it's beautiful, man. And- Basically what I'm wondering is what, what, how has your out, like your perspective and your outlook on life changed, um, since, since AJ passed?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we go back to, we we go back to that, you know, moment when I got my DUI and I thought, you know, how is this for me? Right. Um, so a year and a half ago, I was about six months into my business. It was growing rapidly. We're at multiple six figures and I remember I was actually down here in San Diego for a mastermind. I I remember AJ's dad calling me. And I knew before I answered the phone. I literally, I looked at the phone and I started to cry. I didn't even answer it yet. And I picked it up and I remember Tony telling me, he was crying too and he just goes, AJ's gone. And I remember that moment, same thing. I remember thinking, how is this possibly for me? And I remember, I like the rest of that day is a haze. I, I like I have no idea what I did. I have no idea where I was because um, I was just so emotionally torn, so emotionally gone. This is you know AJ. I've known AJ since I was like nine years old. We grew up playing baseball, playing soccer together. We you know he introduced me to my first girlfriend. Um, he he joined uh the marines i joined the air force and he suffered from depression and and um you know trauma related anxiety and was you know kind of in that state for about 10 years and struggling with it for about 10 years and you know when you're a coach and you've worked with people with PTSD and you've worked with people with depression and who have had suicidal tendencies and your best friend takes his own life you can't help but think I'm a fraud.
2: Mm.
1: Right? If I couldn't help AJ, how could I help them? How could I help anybody? And that was one of the hardest, if not the hardest moments of my entire life after that period of, you know, there was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of resentment, a lot of anger towards him. How could he do this to me? I was very depressed. And I think you know, for me, I kept going back to how is this for me? How could this possibly be for me? And it took me a while to find it. But when I found it, there's never been anything more inspiring in my entire life. And so we're actually sitting here right now. I don't know if you can see this, Jake. Um, But there's, uh, for everybody out there in podcast land, there's a a painting or a, a sketch that sits right over my one of the desks in my office and uh it was a sketch that aj made a couple of weeks before he took his own life
0: (sighs) oh i just read i got chills
1: yeah and uh i found it i was I, i was hanging out with his mom and his stepdad for his what would have been his 30th birthday and we found this when we were going through some of his old stuff and it says someone give me a hand it's just a black sketch and scraped into it says someone give me a hand And this sits over my desk because every day that I wake up that I don't feel like doing what I do, that I don't feel like getting out of my comfort zone, that I don't feel like doing something that scares me, I have to remember that it's not about me, that it's not about me. It never was and it never will be. And the more that I focus on me, the more that I focus on my discomfort, the more that I focus on, you know, someone judging me or the more that I focus on my fears or whatever it is that I'm afraid of doing. There's an AJ out there that doesn't have the courage to ask for help, but is deep down asking someone to give him a hand. And I won't let another AJ down. So, you know, I look back at the couple of months after AJ took his life and how hard it was for me and how hard it still is for me. It's only been a year and a half. You know, earlier this week I woke up bawling my eyes out. Uh Those wounds don't heal very fast. But like I mentioned, when you really focus on others, all the fears that come up, they're minuscule compared to the purpose that you have to live. And when I remember that there's another AJ out there that's waiting for me to get to them, that's waiting for me to help them, I'm not going to let them down.
0: Oh, that's beautiful, bro. Thank you, man. Wow, it's funny. I had no idea. Like, I, I actually, like, I saw it. I was like, I wonder what that is. Like, I, I couldn't, like, read it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, wow, dude, I literally got, I literally got <laughs> chills on my body when I actually read yeah. what it says. Wow. And you know, it's interesting because you are like already on purpose yeah. before it happened. And, and it, it's just almost like, it, you know, and I've always been fascinated too. And I find death is, or just the idea of mortality and is like, there's no greater yeah, force or essence that will show you what matters. And, you know, I'm you know fortunate. I haven't lost someone very close to me, but it's just this idea that, you know, our time is limited. Our friends yeah. and family's time is limited. And it's just like, like, well, you, a lot of this is bullshit, and this is what exactly. Matters.
1: And you, you know, you kind of asked me, right? You asked me, Xander, how can you have so much confidence and certainty working with all these people? How can you not feel like a, a fraud to them? It's like, well, because I've actually already made the biggest failure. I lost my best friend. I already fucked up as big as you can go, and I'm still here. And I'm reaching more people because of it. And I'm helping more people because of it. And it's that level of just conviction. As you move forward, if if you don't make your decisions from fear, if you make those decisions from a place of purpose and love and growth and intention, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the right thing when you lose your best friend or when something goes wrong. But I guarantee that as you keep moving forward, you'll see why it had to happen that way. And so, you know, it's a level its a level of faith. It's a level of belief, a level of trust. Like, I've already fucked up as big as you can go. Mm-hmm. Can't fuck this up any further. Yeah.
2: Right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing, man. Yeah. And we'll kind of, you know, wrap up the interview a little bit. I just have a couple more things. Sure, First man. First is... Know, what's something that right now you're just really grateful for in your life? Maddie. Maddie.
1: I have to say Maddie. Um, she has know, the coolest accent in the world, She's by the way. She's amazing, and yeah. The coolest. It's the only reason we're dating is because yeah. of her accent. <laughs> I, I if anybody here's listening,
0: follow her on Instagram. <laughs> you're just going to hear her angelic yep. voice.
1: At, at Maddie Applin, she's phenomenal. Um, I literally told her, uh, you know, we joke about this, um, but I'm serious. Uh, if she ever loses her accent when she moves to the US, <laughs> we're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you have to like get a pot of Australians Hang out like twice a week Just, right? yeah, just, just to, to make just sure to she keep, preserves just the to accent Just to keep the accent around um, Yeah, no, she's phenomenal she, she truly does You know, she inspires me more and more Every single day to see the stuff that she's doing um, And honestly Just the, the love And the gratitude and the appreciation And growth that she's brought into my life Right? Obviously you've kind of gotten this As we've gone through this talk But for me, growth is like if you were to give me a theme to my life, it'd be growth, right? And I think she over these last, you know, 10 months has been by far the biggest growing factor in my, you know, the significant wow. contribution to growth in my life. Um, and you know, so I have to say Maddie and everything that she is for me right now. So, Mm -hmm. and look, it all came
0: from you putting yourself
1: out there in a comfortable way. Just go do a Facebook live, ask everybody to help you find love. It'll work out,
2: man.
0: And before I ask the last question, um, where can everybody find you online?
1: Oh, man. Um, I'm all over the internet. No. uh, At Xander Fryer um, is my handle for Instagram. So at Xander Fryer, Z-A-N-D-E-R, F-R-Y-E-R. If you want to follow us on on Instagram, Um, you can go to XanderFryer.com as well. Um, And if you are a coach, so one of the things that we do, obviously, you know this, Jake, um, we help coaches build sustainable and profitable businesses uh, in a couple of months rather than a couple of years. Um, you know, kind of built around the idea of what I actually did, you know, I learned like, oh my God, how was I able to go from zero to a six-figure coaching business in like three and a half months? So we teach that to hundreds of coaches now who because you know, obviously we want to make sure that they can have that impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Um so if you're interested in that, we've got a Facebook group called High Impact Coaching. Um, but feel free to reach out to me directly as well on Instagram. So any yeah. of those you'll be able to find us. I highly
0: recommend checking all this stuff. He also co-authored a book with Jack Canfield called Mastering the Art of Success. Yeah. and you know get your hands on that really man I just want to acknowledge you for just the way you show up in the world dude you're thank like, you man I see it especially now with the, the love it's like you you're kind of have all these pillars that you know I look up to of like you know like health and relationships and business and I think like you said before um, especially as a coach you can't make it as a good coach and you know succeed and have all these other people look up to you and serve them if you're if you're not truly doing the work and you are so that's a testament to you man thank you man so last question the show is life on flow yep kind of touched on this a little bit earlier with jack but what does it mean to uh living in flow
1: oh man i think you know it it really does kind of go back to what we're talking about with jack it's it's And it's a little bit of a cliche, but it is really just being unapologetically you, right? And I think what we'll take it a level further as well because I think a lot of people have heard that before. They're like, yeah, like just be unapologetically you. I would give you the advice of being unapologetically you even against yourself because there's part of you that wants to take you down this different path and it's out of fear, right? So we talk about that a lot, but the unapologetically you, who you truly are, is the fearless one. It's the purposeful one. It's the intentional one. Right. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people understand they need to be unapologetically them, but they're still afraid to do a lot of the things that they actually need to do. And that's what it actually means to be unapologetically you. It also means not having to apologize to that Mm. fear part of you. Does that make sense?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, Like not saying sorry for the parts of you that are, you know, that are saying all this and saying, look, I hear you and I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going this way anyways. Exactly. Love it, brother. Beautiful, man. That was a blast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoy that conversation. If you found value from this episode and want to make sure you're notified when new episodes are released, please subscribe to the show Curious with Jake Heilbrunn on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you're tuning in. And if you feel called, please leave a review on iTunes. That would be super appreciated and it allows for others to help find the show. Lastly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and what you found valuable, your takeaways and what you found interesting. So please let me know on Instagram at Jake or wherever you feel called to connect. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Stay curious.